Hi, Elena. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sydney. Hi, Rachel. And Elena. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Andres. Hi, everyone. <laughs> well, that's my line. And hello, everyone else. Welcome to the Friendly Rex podcast. On this week's episode, we have two guests, not just one, so a double feature. Um, and we'll be discussing two features as well. We'll be discussing the Black Coat's Daughter and Hush. Because it's October, we uh, decided we're going to have two special episodes. Usually we do uh, one music, one movies, but now we're going to do both movie episodes this month. And we are going to be joined by Sydney and Andres on both of them um, because they are our resident horror movie friends. So that is why we are watching or we did watch Black Coat's Daughter and Hush. Um, And because of that, we should probably get a little bit more into horror movies before we get into the discussion. So Alana and everyone else, what's your top three horror movies? So my top three would be so I don't know. They're technically horror movies, but not quite horror movies. I feel like mine are going to be the lighter of the group. So I have Signs and then I have Zombieland and then Scream, which is, you know, a classic, a classic, if you will. So. Classic. So, Andres, what is your top three? Um, well, one of them is going to be a cop out, kind of. But um, Evil Dead 2, uh, Doctor Sleep. And then I'm just including the entirety of the Scream series because I can't choose one. Solid. Solid. I haven't seen Doctor Sleep, but I've heard that wasn't very good. So I'm intrigued <laughs> to know why it's your favorite. Wow. <laughs> I have um, actually heard a lot of people liked it. I just fucking hated oh, it. No, everyone I know that has seen it, I guess including you, Rachel, has said it's terrible. So. Rude. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. I think I've lost track of how many times I've seen it and how many time, more times I want to watch it. But um, I'm a huge fan of The Shining, and I think it's a better film than The Shining, which is very weird and crazy to say. But there's a lot of things that I am obsessed with the filmmaker who did it, which is why I brought Hush onto the episode. But also, um, there's a lot of it that just works very well that hits home gotcha what about you sydney what are your top three so my top three are suspiria the 2018 one um the only movie i've ever been in where people have walked out in the first 20 minutes so that was a fun experience heathers which i've left since high school and then slumber party massacre the first one yes the like yeah the first one the second one is also fun, but for different reasons. Okay. Do you want to talk about the the remake of Slumber Party Massacre? I don't know that much about it, but I'm so excited to see it. I think it, it comes out, it, like, middle of this month. Really? Is it, like, straight to streaming service? Oh. No, it's on Spotify, which I do have kind of cable, so I will be recording it and watching it. So, Rachel, what are your top three? I'm so glad you asked. Um... Scream, number one. Well, all of them, but specifically the first Scream, and then the fourth one, and then the third one, and then the second one's worse. But all Scream. Oh, how dare you? Okay. <laughs> the, my number two is Get Out, and my third is Shauna of the Dead, I'd say. I think. I don't know. But yeah, I think y'all might be surprised with what I say on today's episode, but for now, 
before I watched these two movies. That was easily my top three. Um, I think to be fair, mine changes every day. So these are also like what I chose this morning, as opposed to what I choose tomorrow might be different. Yeah, I agree. I also went with really traditional choices. I would consider Picnic at Hanging Rock a horror film, and that would be up there. What's but Picnic at Hanging Rock? It is, is that a, go ahead. These uh, girls in Australia in the 1900s on Valentine's Day go to Hanging Rock, which is this rock formation in Australia, and a bunch of them disappear. Fun. Is that but, the old one? Yeah, like, the old one. It's like from the 70s. I think there's an Amazon series out now. Yeah, uh, I, I almost watched that. That's why I almost watched it. Why don't you consider it a horror movie? Oh, you just don't consider it a classic pick? I don't think it's like conventionally a horror film. That's fair. It's too... It's more eerie than it is scary. Like, okay. uncomfortable. It reminds me a lot of the Virgin Suicides. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. I got you. I haven't seen that either. I know more about that movie, but I haven't seen that either. So. Okay, so the first movie we're going to talk about is Black Coat's The Black Coat's Daughter. And Sydney, this was one of her recommendations. Would you like to introduce the movie for us? Sure. So Black Coat's Daughter, directed by Osgood Perkins. I think it came out in 2016. Other places it's known as February, which is interesting. I don't know, I kind of prefer the title that we watched it under, but it follows three different girls. Uh, two of them are at this school called Bramford, the Bramford School. Uh, one of them is Kat, played by Kiernan Shipka. She is a younger student, kind of lonely. Then we have Rose, played by Lucy Boynton. Older student, she kind of has a rebellious side. And then there's the mysterious Joan, who's played by Emma Roberts who seems to be heading her way to Bramford School, but we're not sure why until the end. Dun, 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 dun. Spooky. Now, Lana, <laughs> I know you are very particular with what you can and can't watch. I'm not I'm not one to talk because I am also very particular, but uh, you're not huge on anything to do with the Catholic Church, really, right? Yeah, so when I watched the trailer for this, uh, when we were choosing... Um, nothing gave way that it would uh, fit into my number one do not watch category. <laughs> um, so the one thing I really dislike watching is anything that deals with um, possession, exorcisms, that kind of vibe. And yeah, <laughs> then, then I got into this and I'm like, OK, I see where we're going here. <laughs> I see what train we're on. <laughs> In the trailer, it has the line of, oh, they worship the devil. And then it snaps to someone bowing. What I don't the remember. Did you think? I think I watched a different trailer because I don't, I may have just skipped. I was like, oh, it doesn't look bad. Kieran Shipka, Emma Roberts. Love them. We're good. <laughs> I was like, we're good. So, yeah. So I was, I mean, Rachel gave me a little heads up because she was like, what? particular things do you dislike about the catholic church and i was like um that and she's like okay I, just prepare yourself i took a screenshot and i actually sent it to sydney so let me pull that up 
I was like, remind me, what is your aversion to Catholic Church and stuff and movies? I just finished Black Goat's Daughter. <laughs> I just don't like rapey priests and exorcisms. <laughs> I'm a firm no on possessions and exorcisms. <laughs> After you already said he didn't like exorcisms. And then you're like, are there Everyone demons? <laughs> you're like, are there demons? And I was like, because uh, I didn't want to spoil it. So I'm like, there's a shadow. <laughs> and then all I got was Ugh. There is a shadow. Yeah. You don't actually see Satan's face, so there's that. Yeah, I, I mean, you see, like, little horns, though, and stuff. Like, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I survived. I watched it. I made it all the way through. Sorry I, I had to put you through that. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It was about time I watched uh, another truly scary Put your scary big movie. girl pants on. Yeah, I did. I'm proud of you. Uh, so, wait, so, okay. The, my thing is, is that you can watch Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. You love that show, in fact. I do. And that show, before I got in more into horror movies, scared me. So, I don't understand your aversion to these things. I don't know, and I can I can see that because, you know... You know, Satan's technically her dad in that show. Spoilers, you know. <laughs> She's not spoilers there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a line in, like... <laughs> it's Black Sabrina and Harvey. No one line. <laughs> yeah, one's like a comic book. One is very much not. <laughs> so. Uh-huh. so so what is your... your we'll get into the, the details of it, but what is your, your overall opinion on the Black Hood stuff? So that's tough because I don't think it was bad. I don't think that. See, I would say that it's not my cup of tea for my particular aversions to that type of horror because it really does freak me out. And so um, it's not something I would rewatch, but I, it was good and I enjoyed it. I feel like I need to put like an asterisk on the enjoyed it part, but like <laughs> it was good. Um but yeah, it did scare me. So, good <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Andres, had you seen the movie before? No, um, it was actually it played at TIFF in 2015, and it was being shown under like the February name at the time. Um, and I remember I almost went to go see it, and then I it was too long ago. I can't remember what stopped me from doing so. Might have been work, but. Um, I remember hearing a lot of good things about it. And then I kept being on um, the list of things I always have to watch. And then I never saw anything that he, the director had did until Hansel and Gretel last year, which I really liked. But um, I think if I'd seen this, I definitely would have watched the rest of his, he only had like one other film, but I would have seen it earlier. All of his film. <laughs> All of his films. What uh, what was your your general uh, uh, review, if you will? I we'll get into it. the nitty gritty. Okay, you loved it. Continue. Yeah, it was very. Um, There's a lot of things that I loved about it in terms of his his style and his filmmaking, um, with all like this empty space in the frames and such. It was and it was like slower than uh, typical, and I don't know how many or 
how far into spoilers we're going to get. Uh, this is <laughs> full on spoilers. Put it okay, all cool. on there. I, I won't go into it right right now. We can go in <laughs> as we go. But there is a, a lot of good twists that I sort of saw coming and then didn't see coming that I was like, OK, I'm very into this because I was kind of confused at first at the, like the three different uh, timelines, if you may. Um, and then it slowly was like, OK, this is really working. Sydney, how obviously you love this movie, right? You wouldn't recommend it. What? What? Why did you recommend it? And what? What is your full-on opinion? That sounded really stuttering. Let me repeat that. Uh, why did you recommend it? And what is your uh, like general opinion on the movie? So the first time I'm going to start with a story. The first time I watched this, I was alone at my parents' house. It was dark. I watched this like pitch black night and it was the first time I really felt truly scared watching something so scared that somebody came home and opened the door to the room I was in and I screamed. Oh, God. And I think for me, um, I found the story really interesting. I like that Perkins builds tension using the score and all the empty space that Andres mentioned. Um, I also just think the acting was really great in it. I love Kiernan Shipka. She's good in everything. But especially in this, I think her kind of towing the line between being this innocent, sad girl and then what she becomes when she is uh, essentially the Black Coat's daughter, if you may, um, is fascinating. And I think an interesting way to talk about grief. I do remember like around that time that that came out, there were at least a few other movies that dealt with grief. I remember like the Babadook was kind of you know, floating around at the same time. Um, but I've really loved it since then. I recommend it to a lot of people, but for some friends, it's a bit too slow. Uh, but I appreciate that. So that's why I was interested in recommending it to y'all. Yeah, I I will say when I saw the A24 logo on the trailer, it was like, this is going to be a slower movie. So I was like, prepare for the slowness of it. Um, so I don't think that was too much of an issue for me. I just found it funny. Just like I, I wrote most of the stuff I wrote down was just like little quips here and there. And you're just like, what the fuck? But uh, we can get into that in a little bit. But um, yeah, no, I love the cast. I uh, I liked the twist I, I, when they were. Si- OK, I know now I'm like full on spoiling things, but spoiler alert. If you are still listening and haven't watched it, want to watch it. Um, when they were sitting in the diner and uh, he was like talking about his daughter, I was like, oh, that's 100 percent Kieran Shipka's character in the future. And Connell turns to me, he's like, no, it's not. I'm like, bitch, you want to you want to try me? <laughs> he's like, it's not. His, he's not uh, Lucy's. I, I don't know their actual fucking names in the, in the movie. Uh, Rose, is that? Rose is Lucy Boynton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's like, that's not Lucy's or Rose's uh, parents. And I'm like, yes, it is. I can guarantee you it's Rose's parents. And called it. I just like get on the high when I uh, call things. It makes me happy. But yeah, no, I I liked the twists. I'm just too fucking smart for them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, think. Oh, no, go ahead. That's yeah, fine. Go ahead. A lot, so I read a lot about this film because I like it so much, and a lot of the criticism comes from the storyline of Joan, because people think that it's either way too obvious or not obvious enough, because spoiler, Joan and Kat are the same person, and Joan is just Kat in the future, and 
played by two different actresses who really don't look anything alike. And that got a lot of criticism. I think it's clever because it, to me, shows that um, just how much how changed Joan is after the experiences that she has at Bramford and the fact that changed so much that the parents don't recognize her, which also gets into the conversation that Rose's mom has with Joan in the car uh, where she says she can't really see her. Uh, and so she's sitting in the back of this car, so you don't really know what's going on. Um, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's actually funny that you mentioned the the non-likeness uh, between uh, Kiernan and Emma, because I'm like, Emma Roberts looks like Lucy Boyton. Um, so I was like, at first I was like, is that supposed to be Rose? And I was like, that is making fucking sense. Rose. In February, students at the prestigious Brantford Academy, a Catholic boarding school in upstate New York, are about to be picked up by their parents for a week-long break. Cat, uh, played by Kiernan Shipka, a freshman, and Rose, played by Lucy Boynton, a senior student, are left behind. Suspecting she may be pregnant, Rose has, a, has lied to her parents about the vacation dates to buy time. Cat has a premonitory dream of her parents dying in a cra- car crash and is unable to reach them by phone. The girls are left alone in the academy overnight, and Rose departs with her boyfriend to inform him of the pregnancy. Meanwhile, Kat receives a call. Hours later, Rose returns and finds Kat in the boiler room, repeatedly prostrating herself before the boiler. She presses for an explanation of the strange behavior, but Kat speaks cryptically and claims her parents are dead, disturbing Rose. And after Rose leaves, Kat's body starts convulsing and contorting in her bed. And that's probably when Atlanta's like, nope. Uh, <laughs> the next morning, Rose's, Rose in a sickly looking cat joins the nuns for breakfast, where Kat behaves erratically, vomits, and curses at the nuns. After receiving an alarming phone call, the nuns order Rose to shovel the driveway down to the earth, in quotes, for the abrupt return of the headmaster, Gordon. Gordon arrives with the policemen. As they enter the nun's cabin, a blood stain is seen on the wall, and the men react with shock to something off screen. Friends, is there anything you'd like to say about that? I feel like there's so much in that. So yeah. where do you start? Yeah, there was yeah. a lot that literally covered all of us. So. Well, that's why I said, said roles in, in bold. If you were a good student, like some people. I, I was. I was just saying it's a lot because it covers one of the main characters' whole story. Who is your favorite character? Let's go there. Out of the three. I mean, two, but three. I mean. Rose, because she's not a fucking cretin. Yeah, no, okay. I, mean, I mean, valid reason, so. She's not fucking possessed. I will say, um, I, one of my notes was when Cat uh, calls one of the nuns a cunt, and and Rose is just like, <laughs> I love that scene. It's so funny. Um, also, when uh, Sabrina, it, it went not Sabrina. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> It's in my nose over right there. I, really, I just go from Kieran and Sabrina, a cat. Like, I don't know what I'm saying when I'm typing. Um, but uh, when Kat and Rose are in Rose's room before uh, Rose leaves to meet up with her boyfriend and Kat seems like uh, 
that's what I'm looking for, like uneasy about Rose talking about the nuns praising the devil. And I was like, she shouldn't have any issue with that. He's her father. Like in, in a Sabrina world, not in a this world. I didn't realize what was going to happen. But here we are. Works for both. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I mean, the crossover works. Um, but no, I did. Because like at the beginning of the movie, when she's in the when Karen Shipka is in the headmaster's um, office and she does that like weird smirk and going in kind of knowing that somebody was going to have to deal with some sort of possession. I was like, oh, it has to be her because she's being weird and she's doing the weird smirking thing. So I'm like, and so when that came up, when that scene came up, I was like, why is she being uneasy? Is it because she feels like Rose is catching on to her or something? So I was like, mm -hmm. about that. So oddly enough, the first time I watched the scene with the first time I watched the movie in the scene where she's in the headmaster's office, I didn't pick up on that at all of her being possessed. It just like flew right over me. But now watching it, I'm like, it's so obvious that she was already possessed when she was in his office. Yeah, like, this has like, been happening. And then it just escalates to this point, guessing because her parents died and she saw them die. Oh, is that what you think happened? Or are you just talking about the permission? I don't know. Because I have a lot of thoughts about what might have happened. I think that the devil may have killed her parents to make her dependent on him Mm -hmm. as her sole source of companionship. But it's hard to tell exactly what happened to them. Did she kill them? Did she just see them die? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I definitely was in the boat of uh, he killed them uh, for exactly like what you're saying to so that she would rely on him, especially because like in her dream, the father figure wasn't dead. It was just the mother. But like, they're both dead, obviously. Um, so she like placed the dad into the devil. I was just going to say... Uh... This is more I know about the overall movie, though. Um, I really like that it was a slow burn. Because I feel like a lot of horror films are kind of like, go, go, go. The ones I've seen, at least. And this was definitely, like, a bit more, you know, atmospheric. And, like, the score was used really well, as you mentioned before, Sydney. I was just going to say that was something I really enjoyed about it. um, That you kind of had to pay attention i guess because there were a lot of nuanced details that if you weren't paying attention you you would miss them and stuff because it is more of a i guess quieter movie in that sense like there's not a ton of dialogue a lot of it is very um you know kind of body language body language and that type of thing to understand what is happening agreed yeah i agree I think one of the moments that I kind of wrote down that spoke, you know, with the body language and it was being so subtle was when Rose is in Kat's storm room and trying to basically put her to bed. Lucy Boynton's acting, it's so subtle, but you can just tell the clear discomfort in her face, but she's trying not to show it. And just to see that from her character was fascinating because it's like, yeah, we're uncomfortable too. But in her position, she doesn't want to show that because then cat might kill her or something she doesn't know what cat's up to um well cat did say you had your chance 
scary fucking bitch. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I know. When she said that, I was like, oh, it's gonna go down. It's gonna die. <laughs> but another, back to what you're saying, Elena, another thing I really liked, one of my favorite shots in the film is that shot where it pans and you just see the the police officer and the headmaster looking at the blood spatter and like something off screen. It doesn't tell you what happened. We don't know. We just know that there's blood and somebody's dead probably. And I thought that was super effective because I'm very, it was like very frightening, but it didn't have to show any gore. Yeah. no, I, I do like gore, this. but the fact that it didn't have to do that, I thought was impressive. I was so happy with the the little amounts of gore in this movie. <laughs> I wanted 100% more. Hundred percent okay with it. No, that's fine. No, but I was um, like, I wanted less. Like the scene where uh, she's stabbing Rose. I was like, Oh my god! I, I just kept going. I was. I was. I muted it. it. I muted it. I was like, I did too. Good. I couldn't handle the sound. Yeah. I couldn't no, I handle okay. the sound. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's okay. I don't want that. That's that's okay. Um, well, the other scene where she's stabbing. Uh, the nun and like it just kept cutting as she would stab in i was like this is perfect editing oh yeah i mean i feel like that happened every time she cut someone basically like you never actually saw her do anything i don't uh, think on the skin when she's i don't don't think that's entirely true when she was stabbing rose but i know when the nuns Mm -hmm. because there was only one nun that she ended up like kept stabbing over and over and over again um and that one there was like a cut every single time back and forth but yeah. um no i'm pretty sure it was like a wide shot when they we had she was stabbing rose um i will say there's a scene when rose is looking for cat and she's like going through the school and it's just there's i believe there's no score and it's, all you really hear is like the creaking of the doors and it's just really good like sound design i agree because I was doing it was terrifying. Time. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> Same, Rachel. I was just at some parts I had to like mute it because it was just like too creepy throughout it and stuff. So, yeah. See, I've done that in the past for certain films, and I know that's not great to say, but now I have like a soundbar, but I left my remote for the soundbar at my parents. So I can't turn it up or down. So I'm just screwed. So once I sit down, like, that's it. There, oh, I was I, about to say there aren't any buttons on it, but yeah. There are buttons, down. but I don't want to. Yeah, I yeah. turn all the lights off, watch in the dark, and I just accept it. I'm so not that type of movie watcher. Nope, I was watching this movie in the brightest of rooms. It was dark outside. I didn't want to wait until nighttime, but I had to. Oh, I mean, I've told you about past movies I've seen in the dark and like, I also I'm in a basement, so like it's even darker, darker. And it's just like I'm like, no, this is a really bad idea, but I'm I love it. It's the only way to do it. Nay. Nay. Yeah. That's a negative ghostwriter. I watched it in uh daylight like ten AM. So. I used to do that. Now I'm like, it's one AM, time to start a horror film. Oh fuck that and what the fuck? No, it's one AM, time to go to bed. You know, I like, almost did that last night. I I waited to the last minute to watch Hush, and so I almost watched started watching it at one a.m. last night, but I didn't because I was sleepy, so I went to bed. Yeah, I was about to say Grandma Lana. Come on, you made me look bad. Okay, y'all ready? Y'all ready for the next bit? Possibly. Potentially. Jean. Maybe. A young woman, Joan, played by Emma Roberts 
arrive at a bus stop after escaping a mental institution, which is something that you can click on on Wikipedia, apparently. Uh, sorry. <laughs> a friendly older man named Bill, played by James Remar? 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 Him. Just pick. Offers her a ride with him and his wife, Linda, played by Lauren Hawley, to Bramford, which is near the town where she claims to be headed. She being Joan. They stop at a motel in Joan showers, revealing a scar on her shoulder, and a flashback shows her being shot by a policeman. Bill tells Joan that he picked her up because she reminded him of his deceased daughter, revealed to be Rose. The next day will be the ninth anniversary of Rose's death, on which her parents visit Bramford every year. Joan recognizes Rose and retreats to the bathroom where she suppresses laughter. Joan is revealed to be a fake name. The real Joan was a woman she killed to steal her ID. And Joan. I thought, okay, I don't know if this is just Wikipedia being Wikipedia, but like, I just figured that Joan sought them out because they're Rose's parents. Or was it just a happy coincidence that that was? So I feel like there was some supernatural force at play that she was there and something brought them to her. But this also hinges on my theory about the mother not recognizing Joan saying that she can't see her, like something is shrouding her or drawing these people to her. Mm. Cause I don't think it can be just a coincidence. It's too specific. It's also a movie. So it's like plotted and scripted and whatever, but I think it's too specific for it to just be, like, oh, hey, this girl is on the side of the road. But I don't think she sought them out. I mean, I, I mean, and this, what I'm about to say kind of goes towards the very fucking end of the movie. But, like, it could be why she ended up killing Rose's parents and using them as attempting to use them as sacrifice because she thought it was, like, a sign. I could see that. Sorry. Yeah, that's kind of where I thought it was, too, that it was just kind of something that you know, because was a bit outside of her, you know, she didn't go out and look for them, but she just saw it as like, it was a sign that he was wanting her to come back to him and stuff. And they would be the perfect sacrifices type of thing. Yeah. Which makes it even sadder because she thought it would work. And I almost see her laughter as her just being so, so happy that it is them because she knows because of what you said you know she's brought to them they're the perfect sacrifices but then it's even sadder because it doesn't work and the devil isn't actually there any longer which just goes really to the end but yeah I mean like yeah that that is why she's freaking out at the end right when she starts crying is because like the only thing she thought she had to live for she can't find it anymore fucking depressing but also she's insane so (laughs) i don't feel bad for her (laughs) i feel bad that she got possessed at such a young age but (laughs) he ain't in her anymore we saw that (laughs) um maybe who knows but did any of y'all get creep vibes from the dad at first when he's in the room where after she showers and she's just in the towel i'm like what is this man gonna do honestly why are you answering the door in a towel (laughs) i'm like did they mean for him to come off that way i think because it's definitely uncomfortable i i definitely think so 
He like not in, not in as creepy of a way, but he definitely sizes her up to where like you can tell with his body language that he is aware of the lack of clothing on her body. <laughs> um, so and then him like, like shadily being like, "My wife is taking a nap." I'm like, "Bro, <laughs> yeah." And then I get think out of he, here. <laughs> and then I think he checks himself a bit, and then he realizes, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna be downstairs." meet me for breakfast or whatever i'm not creepy i swear i actually i forgot that is one of the notes that i took when uh joan is sitting at the uh bus stop and they run into rose's dad at first uh he's like i'm parked right over there my wife's waiting in the car see and they like pan to the car and it's like a fucking mile away and you're like i parked over there can't see anybody else in the car because the lights are way too bright exactly yeah i'm like don't go in that car. Don't go in that car, Joan. He's going to kill you. <laughs> Lo and behold, that's, that's what I do. I was like, this is so scary. Like, this is going to be really bad. I don't know where this track is taking us. This is some CSI bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because that scene in the hotel room, like, it's almost comical because it's so odd. And the whole, like, constraint of the rest of the film that we have seen so far, it just seems before you kind of understand what's going on, because I think that the scene at the diners, not like the reveal, but you can put the pieces together that this was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I am very interested to watch it again, knowing everything just to like, see what you pick up on. Like you were saying earlier, but yeah, I definitely recommend watching it again. And I haven't seen it. When I watched it last weekend, I hadn't seen it since the first time I watched it, which was three or four years ago. Probably, yeah, like three-ish years ago. And so there was a lot that I forgot about even happening. Um, like, I knew, you know, there's things you remember and things you forget. Um, like, I forgot about the conversation that they had, Kat had with the headmaster at the beginning. One thing mm-hmm. I did really remember was the creepy song that Kat sings at... The, the talent, show. talent show that is just so sad again like everything about cat is so shrouded in sadness yeah. and melancholy poor Kieran ship that um poor sabrina no uh what uh was she, we do learn that she was possessed in when she went to the talent show though right in the flashback okay just because sure. i think the beginning insinuates that she's been insinuates that she is possessed and the talent show happens afterward after she visits the headmaster it does yeah right because yeah. it seems like See, the talent show is like for the parents who come yeah. because it keeps pan it keeps showing like the audience where her parents are not sitting but supposed to be sitting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they also make you think that uh when rose's parents pick up joan when you see the bouquet in the back seat you that makes you think that they're on their way to see cat at the uh thing which i thought was interesting um but no i I thought when cat was sitting in the headmaster's office or whatever it was at the very beginning of it was like there was some weird like sexual relationship or something going on and that's why she said i want i wanted you to be there why aren't you gonna be there and then when you realize she's possessed and uh he wanted to kill all the cunts um, that the headmaster was included in that list. Um, 
The director Sorry. just really wanted to hit all those Catholic things, possessions, rapey priests, just saying. I don't know if that's, like, the vibe you're supposed to get, or if I truly just did not, like Sydney said, with her, her own viewing, did not realize that she was possessed, and you're supposed to realize that she's possessed from the get-go. Or just I also just feel like there was uh, interesting sexual tension between a number of the characters. Like, is Kat have admiration for rose does she want to fuck rose does she want to kill rose All oh when she was possessed she said rose smells nice multiple times i know and I, yeah <laughs> yeah you I didn't miss her right <laughs> i don't know i couldn't tell if that was like weird i mean obviously it was a little weird ass demon stuff because she couldn't pray and it was just staring at cat but like from the get-go i don't know I don't. I need to rewatch it because I don't really remember where the possession comes into play and why it's just her being strange, you know. But I think she's possessed the whole time. But see, uh, she does pray. I think at one point though, and so the but first then later, meal they have with the nuns, I think. Yeah, I think. she does pray, but later on, she yeah is just staring at Rose, and so I didn't. That one's kind of confusing because I was like. Is the possession like is she coming in and out of it? Like because because yeah. I thought she was possessed in the beginning when she was like with the headmaster because she was acting so weird and stuff. But then at other times she seemed a little more normal. But then, you know, at the dinner with the other the second dinner with the nuns, she was definitely 110% possessed. So but the it's vomit almost helps. like the power of the possession grows as the film goes on and as she is aware increasingly that she is actually alone. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Because I'm pretty sure the first dinner happened, it was like in the evening of when they all got left, right? Mm-hmm. Or no? Yeah. And so then that night was when she was getting down and dirty in the basement prostrating with the furnace and making weird phone calls. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Maybe maybe that additional praying to Satan or whatever that night like added strength to her possession. Or maybe it was just like the the demon or the devil, whichever, I guess the devil was just like hovering and then on was in her uh, afterward. Cat. During the days leading up to winter break, Cat is in contact with an entity depicted alternately as a horse shadow and gravelly and a gravelly voice on the phone. This entity informs her of her parents' impending death and is in, and instructs her to kill everyone. After breakfast, the nuns receive a phone call informing them that Cat's parents have indeed died. After Rose is dismissed to shovel the driveway, um, Kat murders both nuns. She pursues Rose. Shortly after Rose has her period, confirming she is not pregnant, Kat stabs her to death and beheads her. (laughs) Gordon and the policemen find Kat prostrating in front of the boiler again with the the decapitated heads of her three victims next to her. She exclaims, Hail Satan, before the policeman shoots her in the shoulder, revealing that Joan is Kat. That was the reveal. Sure, Wikipedia. Um, Kat is detained in a mental hospital where a priest performs an exorcism. The exorcism is seemingly successful, but Kat begs the demon not to leave her before it vanishes. Joan, the cat of nine years later, murders Bill and Linda when they pull over in Branford. She beheads their corpses and brings them 
sorry, and brings the heads to the boiler room of the Academy, seemingly in an effort to summon the demon she lost years ago. However, she finds the boiler cold and unused. Now completely alone, she leaves the Academy and breaks down crying in the middle of the road. End scene. And movie. Why in the fuck did Rose's dad stop in front of the Bramford school? What? Why? Why would you stop there? Like, especially when the wife is like, please, God, don't fucking stop here. I don't give a shit if she's about to throw up in the backseat. You don't stop where your daughter was murdered. I don't think yeah. he, an answer. he just he just wants to stop. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You don't stop. It is where your daughter was murdered. And you obviously know that because your wife is freaking out. <laughs> but it almost seems like throughout his this escapade that he has with his wife and Joan, that he actually has more sympathy for Joan than he does his own wife. That's true. That's fair. And that him stopping with his, like, care for Joan ends up being ultimately both of their deaths, but I mean, maybe this goes back to, like, the possibility of some supernatural pull kind of after the fact of what Kat did that has been shrouding this entire trip that forces them to stop there because it seems like Joan obviously has connection to that place and starts to feel intensely sick. Was she feeling sick or was she faking it? I feel like she was faking it. Yeah. I thought she actually was sick. Maybe she was getting like partially sick and then she was like, maybe that's the thing is she thought she was sick and then she realized, no, I need to kill. That's what this is. Is that what you were saying? That's probably what you were saying. I'm sorry. I'm being stupid. See, I thought she was sick because she realized, like, she was coming back to, like, the scene of the place and, like, the emotions were just so overwhelming. Not necessarily, you know, obviously not emotions of remorse or anything like that, but just emotions of, you know, being close to where she was, you know, not alone and that type of thing and stuff and being so close to getting back there that type. I think she chose to like get sick there or pretend to be sick because that's where she wanted to go. And it'd be easier to just kill them, take the heads right into the school right away, as opposed to go somewhere else and then try to escape afterwards and still potentially have to kill someone and bring random heads. It was just easier to just be like, Oh, right here, right now, let's go. I'm up. We have to get out. Yeah, no, I agree. I think she knew exactly where she was and, she knew what she was going to do as soon as that laugh happened in the bathroom. So it was just a matter of time. Any other any other notes before we go to our outro of this schmovie? I may have written roses beheaded with a question mark and then in all caps, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> See, I had the opposite reaction. I was I like might. I thought you might. <laughs> Complete opposite when it happened when she started to like lift the hair. I was like, no, no, no. And I did like the 10 second skip on Netflix. I was like, uh uh-uh, I can't watch this. I literally like leaned forward in my seat and I was like, oh my god, yes. Um, I don't see that many movies where you find people getting beheaded. So I was like, I need I need more. I also think it's even more shocking in the context of the rest of the film where we don't see any of these horrific things that are happening. We just kind of know about them. And then Rose's death scene is so 
it's like both chaotic, but also choreographed in a sense. Like she's so determined to do what she's there to do, which is to get Rose's head. But there's just something so desperate about it that is shocking. And just like all the overkill and all the blood. It's so it's quite overkill indeed, yes. Like yeah. I know we were saying it a little bit earlier, but like it was just a lot. She was mad. So, Alana, would you play list of this now? Um, is it rewatchable for you? Yes, I would rewatch it. Um, I think now that I know what's going to happen, I can accept. Because on the level of like demonic possessions, I feel like even though she is possessed the entire time, it's not as horrifying as some other movies. But I feel. Like, there are a lot of subtle things I probably miss in this first watch that I would like to go back and rewatch it, like Sydney was saying, and, you know, catch things I missed. So, I would rewatch it for that. I agree. Would you Would you give it a gold star of Alana's stamp of approval? I would. I Hell would. yeah! Good. Good job, Sydney. Yeah. Thank you. Glad <laughs> I could be of service. So despite being my number one thing that I don't like to watch, it did make rewatchable. So really, you came out with a double W. <laughs> double I w. Double, double love w. to hear that. I feel like Black Hood's Daughter is a horror film for people who don't really like them. And it's scary, but it's not super horror filmy. So I'm glad to hear that. Andres, yeah. is it rewatchable for you? Yes, uh, I definitely think it's something I tackle and watch again. And again, I'd probably also recommend to other people now that I've finally seen it. Would you friendly recommend it? I'd friendly recommend it. Oh, good. Okay. We're going to just what put that at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'd friendly recommend this. <laughs> um, yes, no, I too would friendly recommend it. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. Um, I would definitely uh, rewatch it. I would definitely advise for people to watch it. I think the only thing for me is like the ending was very um, not not unsatisfactory. Eh, kind of. I guess the ending you were. I think for me, I was hoping for more out of the ending. But I guess that's kind of the point, right? Is that she is hoping for something that doesn't fucking happen, um, and so now she's just left with two more people's lives on her hands. So. Um, yeah. Now that I'm talking that out loud, I did enjoy it a lot. <laughs> yes, I would, I would rewatch it and recommend it. So the other movie that we watch, we all four watched for this episode was brought to us by Mr. Andres Hush from Mike Flanagan. Do you want to introduce the movie for the rest of us? Uh, Sure. So Hush follows Maddie Young, played as Kate Siegel, uh, a deaf and mute writer who is trying to finish a novel in the woods all by herself when a man shows up and wants to kill her. Very simple. Very simple premise. My notes are all like, how interesting. You want to see my notes? You want to see... Mine in bold, mind you, because I was too lazy to fix it. Literally starts for hush. Cute kitten, bitch. LOL. <laughs> it's not wrong, though. So. 
my first note was, I like the friend, but I feel like something is going to happen to her. I appreciate her commitment to learning ASL. <laughs> Have you not seen it before? No. Okay. We, we're, we're all first timers, except for you. Okay. Yeah, I, I see it like maybe twice a year. Also, I felt so proud of myself for catching that her book was Midnight Mass and that uh, same guy and everything. And like, you know, when she was writing, I felt so proud of myself just throwing that out there. Before we really get into it, I'm still very confused because the book is finished, but she's also still writing the same book later in the film. Like, that's the film she's working on. Is it a, a it series? Is? No. Did she say it was a second book? earlier on so i don't know if it's a different book but yeah I, I don't it, know. it's it's we also like this is my obsession with the filmmaker and like the reason why he put midnight mass in it was because it was something he wanted to make prior to hush and then uh couldn't and it was a dream project so it was the only way to make it semi-real uh was to have it in this and then also in gerald's game but the whole like some of the stuff he ends up or she writing with the seven different endings that she has in mind are all connected to midnight mass really i was really worried watching it that it was going to spoil midnight mass for me i couldn't even remember oh, no. what she said but he wouldn't he would not do that alana what is your overall um opinion thoughts on hush um super stressful <laughs> the entire movie i was like this is oh i was just like Oh, just cringy and stuff because it was so stressful. But I actually I loved it. I thought it was a very good movie. Um, bro, I don't know. Like I knew it was going to be stressful going in, so I thought I was mentally prepared, but I wasn't. And like I really like in the beginning, there's uh the shot like it's like super close up of like where she's like fixing dinner and it's having like the sounds of like her crushing the garlic and like chopping the onion and everything. And then the show that she's deaf, it goes silent. And that was just very like jarring to have that, you know, right next to each other and kind of show what she's experiencing. And I, I just really like throughout the entire movie the like score and kind of sounds that they use throughout it, like the just the sound design of different things. So yeah, overall I liked it. I mean, I have more nitty gritty comments, but I figure we can get into that in a bit. Totes, totes, Sydney. What had you seen it? You hadn't seen it before, right? No, I hadn't seen it. Um, I actually haven't seen a lot of home invasion movies, so this was new-ish experience for me. But I did really like it. <laughs> Um, it reminded me a lot of another movie I like called Wait Until Dark. It has Audrey Hepburn in it. It's pretty old, uh, but that one's about a blind woman who is trying to ward off a killer. Uh, but I also, like Elena said, I really liked the sound design or editing in it. Um, I thought that was really effective. And also just the fact that the killer dude is just like, he's just killing. We don't know why. We don't know who he is. That almost makes it more frightening because he doesn't have a motive. He's just like out here with his crossbow. Um, yeah, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I was afraid that it was legitimately going to scare me, scare me, because one of my biggest fears, like legit fears, is like someone breaking into my house. Like I, I don't know what I would do. Um, so uh, 
going into it, knowing the context, it was uh, worrisome, to say the least. But no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I also knew that John Gallagher Jr. was the uh, played the killer before he like unmasked himself. And so I was watching it with Connell and he was like, um, who plays the killer? I'm like, I don't know if that's going to like come into play. So I'm not going to tell you. And then like literally two seconds later, he takes his mask off. I'm like, never mind. It's John Gallagher Jr. <laughs> uh, but no, I fucking love him so much. Uh, and I have never seen him in a darker role like that. Usually he kind of plays the the more lovable uh, down to earth kind of dude, and so I I kind of loved seeing him in something so dark and same. disturbing. A hundred percent, same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was I was very happy with it, and that's what I was saying earlier with my top three. Like, I obviously need to watch it more than once, but I would argue that it was one of my favorite watches that I've ever had, as far as horror movies are concerned. So, good job, good pick. So, Andres, why did you recommend? this movie because it's simple and it's a uh, very um tangible like you you've talked about your fear of home invasion for yourself and everyone and it's i think i don't know if any of you maybe sydney you've seen it but for the first strangers film um there's a there's a scene in which they ask the people invading the house um why us why did you choose us and their response is because you were home like there's no rhyme or reason it's just because and it's just that terror from i believe the character's name is just the man uh the john gallagher jr plays but there's no reason and there's no fear of being caught there's no uh attempt of hiding or running away he just wants the one thing and that's what he's going to do and it's a film that no matter how many times i've seen it still gets to me it's still done incredibly well and i think it's also probably as much as i've seen like enjoy his previous work but like it's the film that sort of changed flanagan's career and started propelling him upward like without without hush he wouldn't have be at the spot where he is right now did gerald's game come out after hush or before after uh, it was okay. uh 2017 at this point he only had two films absentia and oculus uh, oculus is so good oculus is so good and it was my initial number one pick um spoiler alert for those listening i don't do shit with mirrors and so I hard noped out. I didn't even watch the fucking trailer. I, I saw the poster and I was like, no, nope, not happening. Sorry. Also what do you valid. have against mirrors? I look into mirrors too much and I don't want to be afraid to look into mirrors. That makes um, sense. To be fair, it's a, I think it, Oculus is maybe like the scariest thing that he's done. Um, so I agree, but you will watch it one day. I will get you to watch it one day. Maddie Young is a deaf horror author who lost her abilities to hear and speak after contracting bacterial meningitis at age 13. From the disease, she suffered permanent hearing loss and temporary vocal cord paresis. Hoping to advance her writing career following her publishing release of Midnight Mass and receiving international critical acclaim, she leaves New York City and lives in an isolated life in the woods with her cat. 
named Bitch. I don't know if that comes up, but I, I like that note. Um, her friend Sarah visits, visits her one evening to return a copy of her book. Later that night, a masked killer with a crossbow attacks Sarah and chases her to Maddie's house. A bloodied Sarah bangs on the door, shouting for help. She goes unnoticed by Maddie, and the man stabs Sarah to death. Um, the first shot is like, I think it's a drone shot or crane, but it's like way above the woods. And you really get a, like an idea of how isolated and like deep in the woods she is, that there's nobody around at all. Um, and then I think just the use of Sarah as a recurring actress in his work is, uh, who also then is in Midnight Mass is very funny. Um, I I don't know if you've seen it, Alana, because you're the the one that's le- on Twitter the least. I can't fucking talk. Um, but uh, the girl, the woman who plays Sarah, plays a character named Bev in Midnight Mass, and in Hush, she's saying how she loves Riley and she loves Aaron, which are two of the main characters in Midnight Mass. Uh, and then her character in Midnight Mass that she plays does not love Riley and Aaron, and it's very entertaining. Well, it's a fun little little nugget of information. It's like a little Easter egg, yeah. Yeah, it's an Easter egg. Um, my thing, and this obviously will come up in a little bit in full, but like, how the fuck did Sarah get so far away from the killer that she was able to run to Maddie's house? I was thinking that too. I'm like, how far behind her was he and stuff? I guess me, he was leisurely taking his time since he had a crossbow and stuff, you know? Did he kill her with a crossbow? I think he didn't he stab her with one of the arrows. Yeah, maybe. I think he shot her and then like. Hmm. Well, but he it almost also seemed just like a loves to make people suffer, so that's True. why he definitely is taking his time. True. It's like the most dangerous game, where yeah. that guy. Have you all read that short story? What's the What did you say? It's called the most dangerous game. Yes. About the yeah, but it's like kind of the vibe I got from this guy that he's killing for sport. Yeah. Oh, 100%. and so it's more fun for him if she's running ahead, and then he can chase after her and use his hunter skills to murder her. Yeah, he's just fucking lucky that Maddie can't hear or or talk because, like, if she could immediately nine one one, and then his game's over. Like, but yeah, no, I wanted to, and I know I noted it in my own notes off of reading from Wikipedia, but. The cat's name is Bitch. I fucking loved that so much. Especially his cat. Is that what he's? Is that what he named it? No, but it's Chekhov's cat. The cat is introduced. It has to have a point. Have you heard of like Chekhov's gun? Mm -mm. If a gun is introduced in the first act, it has to be shot by the by the last act. And so there's we had a Chekhov's cat. There's Something also, has to happen to the cat. There's also a Chekhov's uh, corkscrew because you see it yes. as she looks at the photo of her and her sister uh, and the corkscrew is right next to it. And it's like just a little aside thing, but it's the weapon at the very end. That's a Saves good call day. out. Yeah. That's a good call out. So I appreciated that the scene where Sarah's banging on the door uh, that Maddie never once looks at the door behind her somehow. That was like impressive to me because I'm thinking the whole time I was watching that, I was like, how does she not see this at some point? Like her back is always towards the door. 
But then it was also super effective because it's like you're watching this person do some very mundane things and then somebody is getting brutally murdered outside. So it was like a nice juxtaposition there. It was. Yeah. Which is another reason, on top of my fear of people breaking in, which is why I always have blinds on my windows and shit. Like, I don't want people looking in on my house, and I don't want looking out of my house. I am happy to not know what's going on on the other side of my window. Okay, yeah, so Sarah just died, right? The man quickly deduces that Maddie is deaf and decides to make her another victim. He sneaks into her house and steals her phone, which he then uses to take pictures of her and send them to her. Maddie realizes she is being stalked and tries to call the police. The man cuts the power and punctures the tires on her car to prevent an escape. Maddie writes, won't tell, didn't see face, boyfriend coming home. On the glass, uh, on the glass door with her lipstick. The man responds by taking off his mask and revealing his beautiful face. Um, and upon learning she can lip read, taunting her with the threat of uh, waiting to break in. He then taunts her with Sarah's corpse. Maddie uses her car keys to trigger her car alarm in an attempt to distract the man so he, re- so he can retrieve Sarah's phone from her back pocket, um, but is caught by the man before she can grab it and quickly locks herself back inside. Also doesn't mention the fact that she smashes the shit out of his hand. Um, bravo. Yeah, that was one of my notes. Sweet move with the hammer. See... But to counter that, I was like, she lost the hammer, so <laughs> she's down a weapon. <laughs> what were my notes? Oh, when she was writing the, when she had like writer's block and everything, she was like, the end, money now, please. I died. So, I know, I was yeah. like, relatable. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that. So you had that, but I, I wrote down the fact that she says, a shitty writer and I'm going to die of old age before I publish a second novel. And I wrote, how dare you attack me? <laughs> So. I also, my writer brain felt horrified that she was writing her novel in pages. Yeah, it's weird. Completely off. Like, you Scribner, don't even use words. Like, you should be, like, you're writing a novel. There are other ways to do this. <laughs> the word processing aside, I was impressed with how much of a fight she put up the whole time. Because 100%. girl was kicking ass. Oh, yeah. And... Just her resourcefulness. The thing with the keys, I was like, what the hell is she trying to do with those keys? And then she set off the car alarm, and I was like, that is so smart. It didn't pan out for her the way she wanted it to, but (laughs) her resiliency was very impressive. True that. So she locked herself back inside after uh, uh, smashing his hand in the window. While attempting to escape through the second story window, Maddie is shot in the leg by the man with a crossbow bolt, but she manages to knock him off the roof and steal the weapon. Sarah's boyfriend, John, arrives at Maddie's house looking for Sarah. The man poses as a the man being John Gallagher uh, poses as a police officer responding to the call. But John, the boyfriend, uh, grows suspicious of him. He plans to attack the man from behind with a rock, but Maddie distracts him by banging on the window, allowing the man to stab him in the neck. As John bleeds to death, he puts the man in a chokehold to buy Maddie enough time to escape. But she realizes that she will either be caught or bleed to death. Her only chance for survival is to kill the man. Now, Alana, obviously, Wikipedia is not our friend and completely skipped the scene that you wanted to talk about. So, would you like to talk about the fact that she went under the the porch? That was one of those things that I was like, there's, 
Like, I get that you're, like, hiding and stuff right now from him and, like, trying to figure out, um, you know, ways to escape and all that. But, like, I was like, there, there's no good way this is going to end. You're literally under a crawl space right now. You got nothing here. <laughs> like, this is the worst idea ever. So that one just kind of irritated me. I was like, you know better. You're resourceful. You got this. See, I had I had a frustration with her about like halfway through when she when she did sneak up onto the onto the roof. I'm like, what the fuck are you going to do? He's going to see you. You're either going to slip and fall. It's a tin fucking roof. Like, I know you can't hear that, but like still. So I was at, at that point. It's like the desperation was coming out and you're just like. What are you fucking doing, dude? Go back inside. What the fuck is wrong with you? He is going to shoot you. Um, but when she does get uh, shot in the leg and he starts climbing up and she's like, fuck you. I'm like, good, good job, Maddie. Proud of you. And when she steals the crossbow, I was like, yes. And like pushes him down. I was like, you're the best. Unabomb.com. <laughs> so my thought on that is just that her, all those missteps made the scene where she was like thinking about the endings even more impressive because it's like, okay, you realize that you've done all these things they are not going to work. So you have to come up with a different solution because it kind of rehashed things that she's already tried. And like, if she tried it again, she would just die. So I thought that was interesting, but now we can move on to the boyfriend. No, it's okay. We, I wanted to talk about that too. Um, I think that was kind of the turning point for me in the movie because up until then I was really frustrated and also the psych out of them like, oh, she's dead. Not really. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally at first when that started happening, I'm like, this is so fucking stupid. What the fuck? Like completely different from the rest of the movie. And I was like, what the fuck? But then like as it kept going on, I'm like, I really like that. Um, I don't know. I'm I am a space case and I'm constantly thinking of 10,000 different things at uh, at a time. So uh I really appreciated that because it uh, made me feel seen, if you will, just not in a uh, life or death situation. The boyfriend. I I think this was part of the, the anger that I started having and the frustration I started having with Maddie because I was like, bitch, he almost had him. Why did you do anything? He obviously had a plan. You could see the rock in his hand. There's no way you didn't. And then all of a sudden, he's fucking dead for being actually relatively intelligent for someone in a horror movie. (laughs) Okay, but can we back up and just talk about the fact that it took him way too long to be suspicious of the killer? There. Because I was like, it was so obvious. He's not even in a police uniform. He's like wearing raggedy ass clothes. (laughs) And you're not suspicious of this dude? (laughs) Like, he's he's an undercover cop, you know? Uppercutter cop in the middle of the woods. <laughs> yeah, making a home invasion. <laughs> totally <laughs> in the middle of the woods when your when your uh, girlfriend's missing. Yeah, gives him Makes his no phone sense. and wallet. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely stupid. No, it was just frustrating. That was just a very much like a you know moment where it could have ended that much sooner. <laughs> That's when you start biting your nails down. You're like. <laughs> Um, okay. I feel like the film could have easily worked as like a very quick short film, but it's just like spaced out in a good way. And a lot of it is just waiting and dread and anticipation for anything to happen, even though you know that it's, there's only really, even though we saw like multiple fake endings, there's only really two ways it's going to end up going out. 
Well, and that's the whole point, right? From uh, the man's point of view is that he wants you to wait and uh, dreadly anticipate things. Moving on. So she plays out all the possibilities in her head. Outside, the man threatens Maddie's cat, which is so fucking cruel, John Gallagher Jr. Um, Outside, the man threatens Maddie's cat with a knife before he is struck in the shoulder with a bolt. As Maddie retreats into the house, the man slams the sliding door on her wrist, ow, and crushes her hand beneath his boot, ow. He allows Maddie to pull her mangled hand inside and close and lock the door when he threatens to enter the house. Maddie writes, do it, coward, on the door with her own blood. As the man begins bashing the door in with a tire iron, Maddie uses her laptop to type up a description of the man and message to her family. She then locks herself in her bathroom, armed with a knife. Um, one kind of side thing, but I think uh, for Gerald's game and Doctor Sleep, you might have to avoid it. If the hand stuff like screwed you up, then there's like actual degloving in which like skin comes off in the other two films, and it's mm-hmm. like. It's one of the two scenes where I'm like, well, I, I can't even actively watch the screen as it happens, but I go back and rewatch it. But it's uh, it's incredible. And I don't know what it is that he has about like, to me, it's the thing where he's like, oh, I did this once, but now I have a bigger budget and I have more eyes. So I'm going to do it again. And he does it again and again, because he just repeats a lot of uh, recurring things. Um, one of the last words that she ends up writing after like giving the whole uh, describing it and then like saying how she loves her, her family is died fighting. And I think that's like a very heartbreaking set of final words. All while that's all going on with the incredible music um, as he's like trying to break down these doors that will never shatter for some reason, but it's, I noticed that too. I was like, why isn't this shattering? It should have broke like, so much sooner, but yeah, well, they're it in Alabama the, and they're hurricane proof, apparently. Yeah, it, it makes for a great sequence, so I'm okay with it, but still. I also have to say, the mangled hand, having to look at... Because I'm usually okay with body horror. Uh, but having to see that mangled hand the entire rest of the movie was so disturbing. Because <laughs> it, like, it just seems like her hand is in every scene. Like You can always see it. It's just there. But then it's also horrifying because I just kept thinking, how is she going to get out of this? Like, she's been shot in the leg. She has no use of one of her hands. She's obviously in very intense pain. Well, her resignation that she just might die was really sad. Yeah, I agree. I will say, and I didn't really uh, talk about it in the little synopsis that I read, but watching her try to bow the or what yeah it's bow the crossbow or string the crossbow or whatever mm-hmm. i'm just like fuck dude like your hands are fucked up right now dude like that i don't know it, it, that that i think hurt me more than the hand being crushed in the door honestly <laughs> um but I thought that scene was really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm like double checking that that doesn't happen after what we were just saying. There's no way that happens after that. You know, it was before. Yeah. It was right after she she was on the tin roof and stole it. It was after right. she'd been shot. Yeah. I think she was trying to string it when uh, that guy, John, Comes was in. outside. Okay, so she locks herself in the bathroom armed with a knife. I'm an idiot. It's right there. 
Failing to break through the door, the man opts to crash through the bathroom skylight. Maddie does not notice him until he inadvertently breathes against her neck. She narrowly avoids his attack and stabs him in the knee. He follows her into the kitchen where she blasts his face with insecticide and uses her visual smoke alarm to disorient him. He begins strangling her, but she finally kills him when she stabs him in the neck with a corkscrew. (laughs) Maddie retrieves her cell phone from the man's body and dials 911. As she sits on her porch steps while the police approach her, Maddie pets her cat and smiles. What a beautiful ending. Um, Yeah, no, that scene in the bathroom was one of the best scenes for me other than her playing through all the scenarios in her head like that was my favorite part of the entire movie um just like the when is he gonna do it him like playing with his food basically and then getting fucked up i just that was that was very cool i enjoyed that a lot i did too I kind of like that he was just giving this like soliloquy like throughout the movie, like just or like a monologue talking to himself. And then, you know, during that, like he does breathe on her and she's like, oh, no, not (laughs) bitch. (laughs) My (laughs) senses are heightened. (laughs) Um, But no, uh, going back to the insecticide, I saw when it fell out originally, I was like, why isn't she taking that? She can, you know, spray him in the eyes, you know, if you got close enough. So I'm very happy that did come into play. Check off the insecticide. I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) Everything comes into play. Everything's check off. having a heyday with this. (laughs) I just like the scene at the end when she's sitting on the porch petting her cat because I feel like they're so, it's just reminiscent of other great scenes in movies, or maybe this was the precursor, but I just remember the last scene of Ready or Not. Spoilers. It reminded me of that, but I think this came first. I won't say, but I just appreciate that, you know, a woman alone, kicked ass, you know, still alive, and kind of clinging on to this thing. Um, Well, it's like the end of Heathers, too. Yeah, it is like the end of Heathers, too. And, um... Knives Out it has a similar mm-hmm. ending, but just about the woman who took power over these men and is able to, you know, be herself. She and sensibly she lives at the end, and so it all hopefully worked out for her. She might have some uh, PTSD, but at least she's alive. She probably has something to write about. True, like a movie named Hush. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the sp- spraying of the blood that comes out of his neck from the corkscrew is so CGI, and I hate it. It's so not good. I turned just my keeps- head. When I saw no. what was happening, I turned away, so I couldn't even tell you if that no, was It was like bad. a hole. It was like... Oh. It, it, it could have been so much better, but they went CGI, and it just sort of like ruined the whole like moment of it for me. Yeah, it was weird. It kind of took you out of it because I yeah. felt like everything else was like, "Oh my god, this could actually happen," and it's disgusting and horrifying. It's it's my it's uh, as I watch it, it's like one of my only flaws with the film. Well, we'll get a remaster of it in ten years, and then it'll be better. No, it's fine. It's, I, I'll live, but it... <laughs> no, it ruined the entire movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I. Uh... I didn't watch that part because I didn't want to see that. So. I For me, it, it was realistic sure it was enough. C- it was CGI. No, it's not. Alana, <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel about all the blood? Because I know you're, that's another one of your things. 
Yeah, not super a fan of the gore. So, like, the moment when she's doing, like, the fake-out, like, of the um, different scenarios to see, like, what would work. So when he's, like, I think he crushes her head with a stone. I think that wasn't that bad. Like, because there's a line between, like, kind of, like, fakey, kind of, like, CGI type of gore. And then there's, you know, more realistic. And that one was very CGI uh, when she stabs him with a corkscrew. That was CGI. So that wasn't that as bad. Like, when she gets shot with an arrow, that looks pretty real. So that type of stuff freaks me out. <laughs> so it was okay. It was 50-50 on that. Some parts I was like, this is too much, and the other parts I'm like, eh. Do you have another note? I Going back to what we were saying about how, you know, the man's whole thing is that it's a sport. He wants you to kind of, you know, feel the dread or whatever. I thought that the cinematography was really good and the way it, like, panned around the house to, like, show, like, where he was walking, her, like, running to the window and everything. I thought that was really great throughout the film as well. One of the things I really loved is when she uses noise to her power and the fire alarm goes off. So we also have Chekhov's fire alarm, but the fire alarm goes off and it, it was just like, that was such a good scene because it's loud on the TV too. when I was watching it, but the fact that she was able to use that to her advantage to really mess him up was so cool because she knew exactly what that would do to him kind of in his state. And I think that was right after she used the insecticide. And so he kind of, he lost his senses. And so they were almost on an evil, even playing field then. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, I watched something else recently that the main character, maybe it was don't breathe. I don't think it was don't breathe because you were rooting for them, but um, you know, you use, um, in Maddie's situation, you use what you would uh, think as a, 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 a leg up, being able to hear, right, um, against them. And it's a very uh, uh, fun, for lack of a better term, uh, example as to just because you have all your sense- senses does not mean that you're better or stronger. Um, so I, I like when films do that. Alana, is this rewatchable for you? Did you enjoy it enough to uh, rewatch it? I did. I would 110% rewatch it. Sydney? Yeah, I definitely rewatch it. I think if I rewatched it, I'd want other people to watch it with me who haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Because it would be interesting to me having known what happens and having gone through the suspense of it and then seeing somebody else's reaction would be fun no i agree i second that i think it'd be really fun to see how other people react to it agreed i was gonna ask you andres but i think the answer is very clear that you would in fact rewatch this because you have in fact rewatched. <laughs> in fact i have uh the first time i watched it uh i was like aware of it before it came out because i think it had a secret screening at south by southwest and then it premiered on Netflix about two or three weeks later, something like that. Um, but I remember I watched it like the day it came out and then I had friends come over the night after. And I immediately was like, I don't care what our plans was. We're going to watch this before we do anything else. And uh, it is my one of my favorite things to show people, which is one of the reasons also I was like, I need you all to watch this. Um. I I do would rewatch this movie. I really enjoyed this movie. I, I enjoyed both movies a lot, but I think I think this one gives gets the W out of the two, but they're both winners in my book, so 
Alana. No, I agree. Um, I think all in all, especially since I'm not a horror movie person at all, the fact that I would rewatch both of them is a win for both of you. <laughs> so, especially because they both contain things that are no nos for Alana. You got yeah, uh, fucking exorcism possession shit, and then you got blood. <laughs> not that much blood, but I'll take it regardless. <laughs> For there's Atlanta, that was a lot of there's, there's, a, there's a substantial amount for people who are not really into it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you two for joining us. And uh, we'll obviously have you on the next episode. But uh, Sydney, why don't you uh, tell the people where they can find you and what you're up to? So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sidbull, S-Y-D-B-O-L-L. It's the first syllable of both of my names. Mm-hmm. And then I also release a newsletter every two weeks, but in October every week. It's called Thursday Matinee, and you can find that on Twitter and Instagram at Thursday Matinee. And I'll also have a horror watch list for the month of October, and so you can follow along on that if you don't know what to watch. Like Oliana and I, which is why we have this podcast with the two of you, because uh, we wouldn't have watched these movies if it weren't for that. So you all should do that. Andres, what about you? Tell the people where they can find you and what you're up to. Um, you can find me on Twitter and I guess Instagram at Pocket Writer. I don't really use it ever, but um, people have asked me to plug it. Um, and I write, co-run and edit for the underscene and a bunch of other things and too many things to name. Uh, you can just find everything I write on Twitter. Alina, where can, uh, where can they find us? Do you think? Well, you know, they can find us on Instagram at friendly Rex and on Twitter at friendly Rex pod. Wow. So, I know what information. I know that's a, that's a lot of good stuff to follow right there. <laughs> Okay, well, thank y'all for joining us, and until next time.